Welcome to Asprey Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we talk to Tim Donnelly, who together with Danny Clinch is a founding partner of the wildly successful See Here Now Festival in Asbury Park, which wrapped up its third iteration this past September. We talked to Tim about the festival and its connection to his history of activism with the Surfrider Foundation and working his way around the country on tour with Lollapalooza. Welcome, Tim. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official city of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. Route 35 to Convention Hall. As Barry Pod covers it all. As Barry Pod, I love you. I love you. Welcome, Asbury Pod. We are here talking to Tim Donnelly. Tim, you're going to give us a little intro on who you are. I'm here. It's Amy, and I'm here with Joe. And Tim, we just talked to somebody. Well, he does a lot of interesting things, but one of the most interesting things about him is that he was from Alaska, and he's a barista at Esbury Roastery. That's a journey. Isn't it? Well, that's what, you know, that was the question. Amy always asked people, how do you end up in Asbury Park? Was it, you know, a bankruptcy or a breakup? And uh, Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, I, almost. <laughs> Um, oh, so you there. fit, you know, you fit our criteria because no, I have to tell you, oh, so same with me, I was breakup. But, you know, I did this for a couple of people and one, they're thrown off that I asked that question. And two, we've had a number of people that were not bankruptcy or breakup, including um, our, the guest that we just set on. Oh, pre tell. What brought you to Asbury, Tim? Um, I was in New Orleans and <clears throat> I had moved to. <laughs> I had worked in New Orleans after Katrina. So I was there for two and a half years. And it was, um, by the time I came back, I was pretty, was pretty banged up as far as like the work I was doing and the stress I was under and the, and the whole state of being of what it meant to be in New Orleans during that time. I mean, it was really hardcore. And I'll tell you what it did. It really prepared me for Sandy is what it did. So when I got back from New Orleans, I got a house on a oceanfront block in Seaside and just really like regained my, me being a surfer again and getting touched back with the water and seeing my family and literally going back to the place I grew up with like returning like 25, 20 years later. So it was kind of weird, right? So <clears throat> Marilyn Schlossbach, an old friend of mine, opened up a restaurant called the Langosta Lounge. I went up to come up to see, 
a show. Um, it was the Pretenders, Cat Power, and Juliette Lewis and the Licks at the Stone Pony. In two thousand nine, I remember that. I could hear that show from my my room from my. The apartment. summer of two thousand and nine, and I walked into Langosta and I said, "Who the hell is that girl?" And it was Bridget, and who I've been with not since that day because she really made me work it. Like, like I mean, it was like she, like nothing was too. I mean, I felt it was like sixth grade unrequited love all over again <laughs> as a middle aged man. It was it was pretty hardcore. So I met Bridget, and then uh, Danny and I. I forgot went. Bridget worked for Marilyn. I you yeah, know what Bridget I forgot to, that yeah yeah she used to run like market in the middle like all the yeah, way yeah. back to. What? To this day, uh, I'm going to be honest, one of her best restaurants, I thought, I thought market was, I mean, you you remember Joe and I've talked about it before. Like, you know, we used to talk about Cookman as restaurant row. There was only two, two restaurants. (laughs) It was market in the middle and brick wall, but it was still called restaurant row because that was the only row at Asbury that had, but market in the middle was probably one of my favorite, favorite of her endeavors. Yeah. And, and wouldn't it be great to have it something like that back downtown right now? Mm -hmm. Totally. Because there's actually people who are living there who could actually use the market, you know. So um, part of it, yeah. So I met Bridget, and and then um, I said to Danny Clinch, I was like, "Yo, I see an opportunity up here. Let's do a gallery um, for Bruce's 60th birthday." Um, and so I walked into the Madison Marquette office, told him my idea. Turns out that I knew Anselm from a crazy night in New Orleans with a bunch of mutual friends. <laughs> and that's then, not surprising. Not, yeah, but it's just it, but that's it's it's so 360 and weird in that way that it's 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 mind-blowing. So we got that space, which is now Pop's garage, and we had a gallery in there uh, for Bruce's 60th birthday. And that was my first like, and then I just never left, moved in. Like it found an apartment in Asbury, Chase Bridget, um, you know, like old school courting kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, and that was how many years ago? Over 10. 11 years ago, this next, 11 years ago, this week is our anniversary. Oh, nice. Well, happy anniversary. Thank you. All right. I remember that that gallery, that gallery show on the boardwalk. I thought that, um, that was one of the first things that sort of like come to the boardwalk. That was, I mean, there were things on the boardwalk um, that were fun and interesting, but it was the first, like, wow, this is really uh, a new thing. And I remember going and like, just wander around and see that, uh, that, that, that installation. Um, I had no idea you, you were part of that, but I, it's a, I have a vivid memory of that one yeah. installation. So it was, it was yeah. such a great, a great event. Yeah. And, and that kind of started, I mean, we, and that's when uh, I was there every day for about a month and a half and, and I got a feel for the city. And you know, I grew up working on the boardwalk at Seaside. So I'm 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 a boardwalk guy, to be honest with you. I, I really truly am. I'm I'm a boardwalk like rat. I grew up surfing the casino pier, like it's it's part of my DNA. And I really saw an opportunity here. And I was like, oh my God, this this could be something up here. And so that's what kind of drew me here. And you're a, you're not only a boardwalk rat though, Tim. You're a big uh, surfer and surf rider and na- national surf rider. You worked for no? Am yeah, I, am I, I basically that right. Yeah, I actually helped the New Jersey Jersey Shore chapter um, 
get their charter and get their official start. So I was, my first job out of college was working for the Surfrider Foundation in Huntington Beach. They hired me um, because A, I wasn't from California and I had a clue of, of what was going on. As I like to say, <clears throat> east of the five freeway, because that really doesn't happen in California. It's like the world stops at the five and there's nothing existed outside of that world. So I was able to like get the chapters in the Outer Banks, North Carolina, Virginia Beach, Delmarva, and Montauk in the Jersey Shore off the ground. And it meant a lot to me for the Jersey Shore because I grew up in Tom's River. So I grew up in Tom's River in the 80s, which meant <clears throat> um, bad things as far as uh, water pollution and ground pollution and me burying five kids that I went to high school with from childhood cancers, right? So I grew up in that, like, for example, I went to Tom's River North, and while these kids were dying, Sibagagi's answer was to buy the football field a new scoreboard, right? So that kind of triggered, and then actually a run-in with some guys from Greenpeace when I was in high school triggered my activism bone. And um, it's always kind of been a streak. I've, I've had this activist kind of streak, um, you know, ever since. But I'm, I'm completely convinced that you're born with a, an activist streak, um, uh, unless something catastrophic happens with you. And then music, Tim. So yeah. it, it all kind of comes together with See Here Now. But, but working at MTV, you were, what, what were you listening to as a kid? What was... What was um, tickling your fancy as a kid music everything because I was the youngest so I got all like you know by the time I was four years old I was mimicking Jimi Hendrix jumping up and down on the bed in the Rolling Stones and the Grateful Dead and the Ramones were huge in my house because I was a huge fan of the Uncle Floyd TV show oh my god it, that's yeah <laughs> That's New Jersey. Uh, it's so Jersey, right? <laughs> so, I mean, music is always, my mom too, always had music on in the house and she was a big fifties person. So we always had music on in the house always. And it was rare that I was told to turn down, turn down the music. That was rare in my house. You just turned it up to drown the other person out. Um, but no, that's, that's kind of where that love came from. And you know, my first foray into music business basically started with Surfrider being an activist on the Lollapalooza tours on the first initial ones in 1991 through 1994, which when it was kind of cultural shifting and, and, and uh, culture defining um, part of my life in the 90s. And then that led to a job at MTV where, oh my God, man, I was writing VJ segments for like what was coming out of like Bill Bellamy and Kennedy's mouth at like the beach house. I was that guy. I was, you know, uh, did three beach houses, uh, worked in the studio in Times Square during the 90s, during MTV's heyday. And like, you know, some crazy, crazy, crazy stories that happened during those times. And, you know, it was a much different time, but yeah, it was, it was I had a, uh, a good run there. I wanted to go back to the the the, the, the Geige thing and and Tom Zerber, which is pretty. Yeah. It's amazing people have kind of forgotten about that. I remember mm -hmm. that. Did you read that book, Tom Zerber, by that New York Times science writer Dan Fagan? Yeah. So so <laughs> this is going to be very interesting. Danny DeVito's production company bought the rights to that book. Ah. And they are we're supposed to they are going to make a film about it. Interesting. 
Um, and well, describe and, well, just in case our listeners, we're all from we have a few listeners, yeah. oddly enough, not from New Jersey, which is right. which is <laughs> puzzling to us, but we right. where they exist. <laughs> So, so just take us through, you know, give a, give a sentence or two history on that. So Sibagagi was uh, formerly known as Tom's River Chemical, which was the second largest employer in Tom's River um, besides the school district. So basically what they did was they manufactured, tool, they manufactured dyes and different kinds of chemicals for pharmaceuticals and for tool and, and dye companies. So basically what they did was they set up shop with which used to be the Pine Barrens and their war, water dispersal or get rid of their bad chemicals or polluted chemicals, they either flushed them into the tributaries that flushed into the bay that flushed into the ocean, or they just, just dumped it right in the ground. And um, a bunch of people started getting sick. Um, uh, fish started dying off, but more importantly, people started to die. And there is a lot of uh, denial. There was a lot of cover up. There was a lot of threats that would happen because a it was the biggest. They were the largest taxpayer in the city. Uh, they were the largest employers, and it was there was a lot of kind of crazy only in New Jersey things um, that kind of happened during that time frame. And um, it was it was it was a messed up time. That story is so insane. You know, Sibagagi, so the, the, the water, Sibagagi's pollutants ended up in the drinking water at Tom's River, but unbeknownst to everyone else, Union Carbide was illegally dumping chemicals on a chicken farm on the other side of that same aquifer. Mm-hmm. So there was getting pollution from both ends and they, they couldn't figure it out for a long time. And then, uh, you know, there was your Greenpeace, really, this is the first time I had heard about Greenpeace. Um, you know, I was a kid at the time. Um, and what did they climb the... Um, the water tower in Tom's River, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to rehash. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't yeah. want to rehash that story, but yeah. it is a pretty fascinating, like sort of an a birth of activism. Act, you know, if that's going to be the origin story for your activism, it could. That's a perfect storm of bad corporate behavior that want, that deserves punishment and the public's attention. Um. Anyway, I don't know if I have a point beyond that, but I, you know, I just find it interesting. Uh, that particular event is so awful and sort of faded from memories uh, over time except to the people who grew up there during that time. Right. Because there are kids that should be in their mid-50s right now that are not, and they're dead. And as a 15-year-old, having to deal with that, having to deal with the loss of your classmate or this kid that you've seen every day since third grade, and he got sick and died and you didn't, and you drank the same water and you played in the same parks, it was a little weird for a kid to handle for sure. But no, it uh, definitely got my Irish up and, and you know, um, started that uh, activism streak for sure. Wow. So we take activism, we take environmentalism, and we take music, yeah. and we get See Here Now, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is that's really kind of interesting that it was... Um, Kind of all of these things coming, all, all of your your interests coming together to form See Here Now. So so we we see where where that came from, but tell us how uh tell us how it um it came to fruition. I did these small par- again. I was uh I asked Massimo Mercado, I was like, hey, I want to throw these parties on the boardwalk. Do you have an empty space? And so it was 2012. And um, I was in the back of the Rebirth Art Supply store on Bangs Avenue. And those guys were my homies. They were my friends. That back room at Rebirth back then was like a little incubation kind of thing where it was uh, 
You know, it hasn't happened since where there were dudes from the west side and there were surfers from the east side and we would sit in the back and we would smoke and we would come up with ideas and we would talk shit to each other. And you we, know, we, 2000, that was such an interesting time in Asbury. Yep. People, it really was. Yeah, it was there were these there are these there were these pockets of of um of times like that in Asbury. I think we all kind of hold on to the different ones. You know, yeah. when I came here in the early 2000s, there were um, it was such an odd, eclectic group of people, even in the Santander where Joe and I lived. It was, right. it was um, anyway, just an in- yeah. interesting group of people. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I, so I came up with, I came up with this, like, wow, let's call this so it's going to have to do about surfing artwork and we'll have some music and some surf. And, and then it literally came, see here now came to me because I guess I was in a very meditative be here now state because I always, you know, as a, follower and always read like you know Richard Alpert aka Baba Ram Das and all that stuff so um I approached them about doing this party and man it went really well and then I had another one and it went really well and and then Hurricane Sandy hit right after the last one we did and we found some of the artwork like on Kingsley Avenue <laughs> that that literally we found some of the artwork that was on the walls on Kingsley Avenue and when you where were these parties at tim they're on the boardwalk so that would have been where pliables was where we had that last party so where pliables is right now so if you can imagine some the ocean went through the front door went out the back door took some of the stuff and have it traveled down past the wonder bar (laughs) over (laughs) to where the asbury hotel is now and that's where we found some of the artwork that was on the walls so I said, you Clint. know, what was the, the most interesting thing about Sandy for me was, um, oh, so it's gonna, it's, it was the fish. So all these, right. the, the fish, um, jump, you know, bu- jumping up and down on the roads because they weren't dead yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day it was, I, it's a feeling I, I've never had since. And just, uh, I remember walking around and like all of these like half dead fish were like still Everywhere. moving around in the middle yeah. of the streets. Yeah, as far as so Grand Ave. Yes, Grand Ave was the worst of it. Yeah. yeah. And by sunset, sunset mm-hmm. was like mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that lake had really taken a, a, a hit and it was so, so bizarre. Sandy was, Sandy was bizarre it, it, in a lot of ways, but that, that was one of them that I, I have I have never in my life seen that fishing artwork, <laughs> right? So I, I said I said to Danny I was like, hey, because I don't forget I spent all this time in New Orleans, so I kind of like learned a, a bunch of things, right? So I said to Danny I was like, let's do a benefit concert at the Paramount. Uh, you know, let's let let's look at some routing and see if there's any friends who are going to be playing the tri-state area in and around New Year's. And there was, and there was my morning jacket. Uh, a band from Louisville who are dear friends of ours and their opening band was the Preservation Hall Jazz Band who were my brothers basically and Danny's really good friends but those guys are, are family to, to me and Bridget and then we called Brian uh, Brian Fallon from Gaslight Anthem and uh, Steve Earl called us um, Steve Earl like one of the greatest humans ever on the face of the earth and um, we, we had this Sandy benefit um, and after we did that, it was myself, Clinch, and Tony Pellegrosi put that together. And I said to Danny afterwards, um, I said, you know what? I want to do a festival. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's do this. And then, then we went on this crazy road of like, you know, finding the right partner and meeting the right people. And 
we did in our friend Tim Sweetwood from Atlanta um, and uh, C3 Productions out of Austin. They came, they saw what we saw, they saw the vision um, and they said, yeah, let's, let's give this a chance. So it came from literally you guys from an idea in a back room of an art supply store on Bangs Avenue in, 20, in 2011, actually, um, with like Knowledge Bennett, who has turned out to be a world-class artist who's from the west side of Asbury Park, who I just, I'm just so happy for Knowledge. And, you know, part of that whole little thing there that was happening there, it was an extremely creative and blossoming time in the city of Asbury Park. The lanes was going full on. Um, public art was still was finally starting to come up where some murals that nobody had or asked for any approval started going up, but <laughs> it just looked great, right? It no, started, no, that was the best time. You know, so so yeah, so it kind of came out of that during that time frame, and it's just kind of blocked. And I always knew that, like, because people from the Jersey Shore are professionals when it comes to traveling and partying. <laughs> like going out to New Orleans, to Palm Springs, to New York City, wherever we go. We always, we always handle ourselves well. So I knew if like, if I was, we were to get together 30,000 of those people of our friends, we're going to have an epic party. Like we're going to have a really good party. And that's kind of turned out what it's, what it's turned into right now. And I, and I couldn't be happier. Now you, you brought up New Orleans a couple of times, Tim, what were you doing there? You were working so, after Katrina. Were you working yeah, for Surfrider so, there? So no. So the first thing I did, uh, Michael Stipe from REM commissioned Danny Clinch's production company for us to go down to make a documentary about the lack of recovery. That was our focus, right? The lack of recovery that's taken place after Katrina. After Katrina. So okay. like we went down like the January after Katrina. So this is like four months, like nothing was done, right? So we went down with a small camera crew and just started shooting all over the city. And we had, we had some connections when we were there. And then I walked into Tipitina's, like when the, the Seminole nightclub live music venue, um, because they were holding the first get together of the Mardi Gras Indians, which are basically neighborhood social clubs. I, this is a a whole separate podcast if I was to get into what the Mardi Gras Indians are. But basically it was the only, it was the first get together. And the guy, uh, a, a man named Bill Taylor was running the Tipitina's foundation. And Bill Taylor and I, in the first five minutes of talking to each other, I felt like I've known him my whole life. And so him and I became friends. And um, so we filmed those couple days and something kept pushing me to go back, go back. So I went back like five weeks later for, for Mardi Gras. And then I kept going back. And the next thing you know, he goes, Hey, I kind of need, I kind of need somebody from out of town um, to handle some, some heavy things for me because it's too, I'm too close to a couple issues and some of this stuff is too political. So I, I literally need somebody for, like you to come down and get this stuff done. So none of this stuff blows back on me. So, and that's like talking about like giving donations to people, setting up like accounts for marching bands that lost everything. So, you know, everybody needed something but not everybody could get something. So that was kind of like my role. And then I just fell in love with the place. And then I was part of kind of saving Tipitina's after, after Katrina and keeping the live music in the venues and, and getting up and running for Mardi Gras uh, right after Katrina. 
jazz fest right after Katrina. And that was like the first two and a half years. And then we did a tribute album to Fats Domino. Hmm. And um, so we had, and I worked on this hardcore as well. So we had like Paul McCartney, Elton John and Robert Plant, Neil Young and Dr. John and like um, Bonnie Raitt and Nora Jones and some of the greatest musicians. So that was a project that took like a solid year 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 to make and and you know that's uh i learned a lot down there on what to do and what not to do after a catastrophe and um i took those lessons that i learned there like for example like the north end of asbury park by the fisherman's lot and where the boardwalk would end so back then the ocean came and took those dunes down right and they were leveled and there was nobody coming in to replace those dunes right there was nobody coming in so i was able to talk ways for water the surfer run relief organization into giving me money to buy all these plants and then uh unbeknownst to anybody <laughs> in dpw i went down there with a bunch of college kids on their spring break from njit with a guy who designed dunes and um we built that north end back in three days and then we did the same thing on the south end with arthur kill um in front of the casino after that and that was the beginning of arthur's dune down there so i mean <laughs> i was really invested into this place because i loved this city with my heart and my soul so i was able to take the lessons that I learned someplace else and, and apply them here. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, hopefully it made a good contribution. We had some of your colleagues from the Surfrider Foundation on a couple weeks ago, and we talked about like the reforestation of, you know, like that space in Bradley, mm -hmm. you know, and really how important that is. And that's one of the most interesting parts of the Surfrider is, um, well, there's so many interesting things, but, uh, the part I find fascinating is sort of the rewilding of 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 you know, commercial beaches in this fashion in a way that's both beautiful naturally and also ecologically sound. Um, uh, you know, um, I didn't mean to change the subject, but I, I do appreciate uh, as a citizen, I do appreciate the works there. Right? But I mean, as far as like the the dune on the south end, I think this is like the the most amazing thing, Amy. There was a lifeguard boat that was just completely destroyed. It was like into and Arthur and I got Joe Bonge and we said, Joe, what are you going to do with this? He was like, I don't know. Nobody's going to come take it. It's probably going to sit here for a couple of years. And I said, okay, we're going to use this as an anchor because we're going to build a dune around this. And he says, and he, I never forget, I don't know nothing. I don't know nothing. And he turned around, walked away. Arthur and I got the boat. And that was the literally the anchor to start that um, dune down on that other end, where all the sand filled in around the boat, Amy. And then next thing you know, this huge thing ten years later has has like grown around it, thanks to people just dropping off their Christmas trees. To be honest with you, that's how it started. No, no, that you know, for any of our listeners who aren't have not checked out that area, you you, you got to go down and. Uh, and check out that area. And I also have to go to Tim. You're one of the the the. I don't know if you're one of the founders of Family Day at the Beach with Surfrider, but you're certainly one of the people I've who were known, there year yeah, after I've, year. That was all our friend Joe. Joe started that stuff back back in the day, and I think I was like, you know, I wasn't. I think I was in New Orleans when when that stuff started. But I did a lot of the um, 
did Tuesday morning surf lessons with the kids from the Boys and Girls Club for years. And now some of those kids that we had eight, nine years ago are now college graduate like employees at the Boys and Girls Club. <laughs> so it's just so good to see that I saw them a couple of weeks ago. And, and I looked at this kid and I was like, you're the kid who broke my nose like eight years ago. <laughs> because, you know, it gets a little crazy when you're giving surf lessons to some kids and they're really nervous. And I got smacked in the face with an elbow pretty good. But yeah. So, um, yeah, as far as the family day at the beach, I think it's an amazing thing that Surfrider Jersey Shore does. Um, I think that anything, anything to introduce any kind of child into the ocean or anybody into the ocean, just the therapeutic and how good for the soul the ocean is for you. I'm down with that. No, absolutely. Okay, so so we take the culmination of of art, activism, and music. You and Danny get together. You talk about how to bring this to fruition. So you had experience. I was going to say, how do you go from like shows at the Paramount to festival shows? Which you know, I'm only on the peripheral, but the amount of organizing that goes into see here now. I mean, I have a yeah, I, have a I peripheral mean, view, and it's huge. Yeah, I, those formative years that I had at Lollapalooza, on Lollapalooza for yeah. those four years, like where I really learned a lot from those people were putting up a small city every town we went to. Like, so I learned a lot from there, just knowing that, you know, um, if the machine is really good and, and, and tightly and just like a military precision, cause that's what it's gotta be. And I knew that our partners in C3 were those people because they do Lollapalooza, they do Austin city limits. Um, which are two of the biggest festivals in the country, if not the world, most successful ones too. Um, so knowing that and, and our partner, Tim Sweetwood's experience um, there. And plus, you know, as far as like, uh, you know, I learned a lot in, in knowing how people, for example, when you come to see here now, you are not met at the gate by a big imposing bouncer. You're met by one of the Asbury ushers who's part yeah, of the community in a green shirt that says Aloha, right? Yeah, so That's, we should just talk about who the Asbury ushers are. Well, who are people, you know, Joe, we should totally have them on our show. You should. They you have, have been around forever. Yeah. Ever. yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah. So they're just, you know, how can the kindest old hippies that there are? Loveliest you know, people on the planet. Nicest. And so like, it's so and, fi and figure out the seating debacle in the Paramount, which is like not also the, e because like half the seats are missing numbers, right? And, right. and, and they're falling apart. Um, and they'll, they'll get you and your party to a seat and get you in and out. God bless I mean, them. for me, it's a perfect welcoming committee. Because if somebody's coming in hot or with a bad attitude, you can be mad at one of them. It's like, honestly, it's like, there's not going to be any kind of like antagonism for you coming in. So I think like even like that attention to detail that we have to set the tone for the experience, um, because we are in New Jersey, don't forget. And some people get a little hyped up, you know, and this is the world, New Jersey, you know, we are, it's the world capital of complaint. Um, so <laughs> I cleaned it up by the way, for the, for the Asbury. You, just so you know, our first episode got an R rating. So you yeah, Spotify, whatever the fuck you Spotify want. gave us a parental control warning. So I, it's, you know, it's a, it's, it's the world capital of bitch and moan, right? Yeah. So, you know, 
that just kind of set, sets the kind of tone for how the whole day is going to be, because I, I like to think of see here now of like, uh, you know, as somebody, one of my neighbors said, and he kind of brought it home to me. He's like, that was the greatest block party I've ever seen. And I was like, I, I appreciated that, you know, um, you know, you know, I wanted to bring that up about the, the people who come to see here now, you know, and I remember this most recent one, I have I'm, Unfortunately, I didn't uh, have a ticket, but I remember I was riding my bike down in and around there um, um, on one of the days, and there were whole families coming, like so people my age with their kids mm-hmm. coming to his show, and it just seemed everything just seemed cool, like and relaxed, and people were having a good time, like a block party, not like um, a tent, any tense concert situation. It was much more. Well, I, I think the surf and the beach attitude drifts through the whole thing. So when you're putting together See Here Now, when you're thinking about who you want to bring to the, you know, um, to the beach, were you thinking, yeah, let's make this an all-day family event? Is that, was that your initial idea, or has it just morphed into that naturally? I think it's kind of morphed into it. I think, honestly, it was like more of like uh, what bands fit where we are right now, mm-hmm. too. What like, do you when you say that? What does that mean? What bands fit where we are emotionally as a country, as a city, as a? City? I think as a city and where we are um, uh, culture-wise in this town, and um, how this is one of the last truly rock and roll markets in America, where you say the Stone Pony to anybody involved in the music industry, they know Asbury Park. Mm-hmm. And that is something that um, cannot be manufactured, right? So just knowing that what's happened in the past 10 years here, the renaissance, the good vibes, the good work, the hard work that's gone through here, it's brought, uh, and it's, it's also the bands. Like we're not booking kid bands. I'm not booking, I'm not booking country bands. You know, I'm not booking these kind of bands that maybe have a little baggage with them and attract some people who are not there for the right reasons. The people who are coming to our show are there to enjoy music and see their friends and hang out and have a great time. You know, the last weekend of the summer, I can't tell you how many people from Sandy Hook to the tip of Long Beach Island who live east of the Garden State Parkway. This is their time, right? So having that is like the perfect way to cap off the summer and I haven't, I've heard this a million times. I haven't seen, like people run into each other because they hadn't seen each other all summer because they're stuck in their towns and neighborhoods because they're not leaving. Right. So it's just turned into this end of summer block party for the entire Jersey shore, which is great. And like I said before, there we're professionals when we get together and, and have a party. So I love the range of music. Oh, sorry, Amy. Go ahead. No, no. I'm, I, I was piggybacking on what you were you were saying, Joe, which was, you know, my, my question, a couple of my questions are related. Like, how do you pick the talent? So, so because bad. every year it's, a, it's like a different, a little, a little different, a little different in terms of, oh, that interesting pick, interesting, interesting pick. So we do have kind of like, we, we, we have some lanes that, that we've kind of developed and like, you know, what works in Asbury Park a lot too. So, you know, we've had the up and coming jam bands. Like we had this band called Goose that um, is a highly on the rise virtuoso musicians, right? So that Grateful Dead fish inspired jam band stuff is 
completely Asbury Park centric. It, it is part of the landscape here, right? So I find who, who those top bands are in that and we play that lane. I also say um, to my name, I, I also think of like, you know, what kind of acts are, will the entire, where are, where, you know, gay, lesbian, transgender neighbors like? What, what do they want to see up the street from their house? So having Brandy Carlisle be the on, on the first year just completely sets the tone for that. And what we've been able to do um, on the legendary female fronted acts too. If you notice every year, we've got legendary females every year because it's part of who we are here. You know what I mean? It's part of what Asbury Park is. There's not a lot of festivals who say, we don't have enough women on it. We do. It's like conversation that we have all the time. We look to see if, you know, we make sure that we have women of color and people of color and, and female fronted bands on, 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 on the bill to reflect exactly the neighborhood and the block that, that we live on. I have to say, I, I love the range of acts you have. I'm a huge fan of Tank and the Bangas and right. Glutes. The fact right. that they were at the same venue doesn't like, right. um, the, where else would they both be on the same bill? You right. know, it's really uh, such a great um diversity of, uh, of music you, and you can just walk from one stage to the other and just see really great performers. Yeah. I mean, we kind of pride ourselves like, uh, uh, bad religion is a legendary punk rock band, mm -hmm. right? Legendary Brian Baker, the guitarist from bad religion. He lives locally. He's a friend of ours. And he says, you have a music festival, which means that it's not a rock festival. It's not a punk festival. It's a music festival. And so when you combine a lot of these different kind of genres or leaning kind of music and you put them all together, there's mutual respect and admiration society going on. Like, did I think that Orville Peck was going to lose his mind over Billy Idol? <laughs> right. Or, you know, the Tank and the Bangus kids were like losing it because the Smashing Pumpkins were there. You know, so it's just, it's kind of like really kind of cool to see. Almost as cool as Amy Quinn's reaction to Billy Idol with John Moore backstage. Amy, what so, happened? Well, <laughs> well, when I met him. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, Billy Idol. So, I, well, right. I got to bring up one uh -huh. point. I, I thought, and maybe every year, I have to think through the years, but Joan Jett, Billy uh -huh. Idol, Patti Smith, like the these people Blondie. who are not young, Blondie, who are not, Blondie yeah. not young people at all. Mm -hmm. I'll be perfectly honest, are the ones that blew my socks off. Like Billy Idol this year, obviously Billy Idol and Patti Smith, I thought were just phenomenal. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, two people in their either yeah, pros. 60s or seventies. <laughs> I was just, it was it, it, un unbelievable. Which, which I was going to talk to you a little bit about, Tim. Just like, is that like, are they just, have they just been in the game so long that in their seventies, they just kill it? Or do they have something to prove? Like, I, I just, I thought they, they, these people who are, so, well, I don't want, I, I don't want to keep bringing up their age, but I mean, older people who are just killing it. I mean, right. really, really killing it at their performance. Just, I mean, so I, amazing. Thought, I thought Billy Idol stole the weekend. Totally. Totally. Honestly. Um, I think with somebody like Billy Idol, he's um, since his new lease on life, he's found like this incredible purpose to be 
the greatest performer he could be and be in the greatest shape he could be at 65 years old or 67 years old, whatever he is. I think that getting old is redefined on a daily basis too. The Rolling Stones are, you know, 78 years old. And I think it was 78 year old when I was 12. That was my grandma with, with in Elizabeth, New Jersey with blue hair and, and, and wax teeth. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's just getting old. I, I think it's just, it's just redefined And like somebody like Patty Smith who took care of herself for all those years. Like she wasn't out doing drugs and drinking alcoholically and all that other stuff. It's like, you know, look how amazing performance that her and her entire band of guys who were in, you know, Lenny Kay is 70 something years old. And he was out just to close the stone pony with us Saturday night. Yeah, no, that was like, that was really interesting to me. And and I mm-hmm. remember thinking that of Joan Jett, I forget what year she was on, but I remember thinking, oh my God, she's, yeah. you know, just amazing. Just really. I mean, for me, it gives me hope, right? Because I'm like, I'm like 54 Me too. Now, right? I'm not so, that far behind you, Tim. You know, it's like now it's like, uh, uh, you know, I'm the president, treasurer, vice president, CFO of the Tim Donnelly Preservation Society. <laughs> like, you know, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Just make sure that I get my eight hours of sleep and my water. And I don't know who if, if my 25 year old self could have a look at me now, I think I'd laugh. Yeah, so I have to say John Moore does not. Um, it takes a lot to impress John. Right. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. he, he does yeah. not impress easily in any way. And, and as far as I know, I, he may come and I'm not even sure he's come to everyone, but if he, he is likely come to every see here now, but Billy Idol was like, loved it. That was a, that was a big deal for John Moore. That yeah. was a big deal for John yeah. Moore. So, yeah. I mean, and he also I, had a big deal for me, which was Ani DeFranco. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lesbian in the nineties, Ani was like iconic for us. You know, she was, you know, singing about heartbreak and, you know, of whatever else she was singing about. I only remember the heartbreak, but um, you know, she, you always have like those, uh, you know, interesting mixes of, um, you know, she was, she was like, she's not been in, she's not uh, toured recently, at least that I've seen, although I guess nobody has because of the pandemic, but anyway, um, Ani DeFranco was one I was really excited about seeing. Yeah, but that's a, she's another artist, like, you know, Danny has known since the 90s. Uh, she lives in New Orleans. So when I was living down there, I got to know her too. So it's one of those things of like bringing people that we know through town, which was like what we did with Pearl Jam. I mean, you know, I have known those guys for 30 years. So being, and Jack Johnson, I've known forever. So to be able to bring these people who are world-class performers to, to our town um, and that, that we've known and uh, we put on a great party, uh, it's 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 a good formula right now. I think every one of these uh, bands are really sort of electrifying performers, right? There are a lot of great musicians whose live shows are not very good, you know. Right. They're, uh, but every one of the acts that I, you know, at least I saw from YouTube and the clips, were people who are really, um, you know, I'm on stage, I'm giving it a hundred, you know. And I saw Ani DeFranco, I think, when I was twenty, in a in a the graduate student lounge at Rutgers. It was the first time I didn't even know who she was. I was like, oh, come see me this singer and blew away the room. And she was she didn't need to, right? There was just a bunch of uh, college students hanging out. And she she's like, well, it might, she might as well have played Carnegie Hall. She gave it that, that kind of energy and that's carried her all the way through. And then 
that's why you get her on stage here and she blows it away the, the fans here as well you know and i think all of these acts seem to be at least from the outside have that same energy it's like we don't need musicians used to be forced retired by the age but musicians want to play and if they've got the energy like put them on stage and they, they all they all look great yeah we, we kind of curate the day by energy also too you know we kind of nice we, we set we start off kind of nice and mellow and a little reggae or a little surf rock or some local stuff and you know you kind of want to build it up to the to the crescendo so like when so when people are walking down the boardwalk when they're leaving you know they're they're happy with with the day they just spent and you know and if they want more they can go out and see some music in in a in a club in town too which i think has been fantastic you know um, you know, one of the great things about See Here Now, and, and you know, we had Bamboozled, which ended up being very problematic for local businesses for, for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to go too in-depth on why. But anyway, it, it ended up being problematic. And one of, one of the, the good things about See Here Now is that people do filter out and go to Langosta, and they go downtown, and they shop, and they um, generally kind of spread out a little bit. So that is... Um, you know that is one of the things that that I think is great about the the um, the the See Here Now Festival, and I'll just say from a city perspective, one of the other great things about the See Here Now Festival is that you know a, a Friday night on Cookman Ave is wilder than the See Here Now Festival. So kudos to not attracting um, the the bros that come down on Cookman on Saturday night that inevitably get me tons of phone calls on Sunday. <laughs> Um, so can I ask one kind of strange question? Any strange requests? You don't have to say who. Have you ever gotten any strange requests from these artists that come to Asbury Park that you were like, oh, we're not going to do that? I mean, everybody wants to meet Bruce Springsteen. Well, that's, I mean, I walked I, down the street know. and somebody yeah. asked me I, if, I, if I, mean, I know Bruce Springsteen, can they meet him? That, that doesn't seem strange to me. Is that strange to you? No, but you know, it's no, there, I mean, th listen, it, the music business is so freaking tame to what it used to be. So you're it, not getting crazy requests. No, man. It's, it's like, it's like a bunch of actuaries. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's, those days are over. Man. It's just, it's, it's over. It's done. It's, it's, you know, it's a business and uh, you know, after the shows, you know, it, stuff might get a little crazy but it's nothing no no like completely outlandish requests or, or anything and favorite performer that we've booked on see here now for you oh my god it's like picking a child it's like they you all gotta pick one you know, can you pick one so and there's reasons but there's there's of course but there is a major reason so um um the pearl jam has played a, a a huge role in my life in my professional career and personally as well. So um, back before cell phones and beepers, you remember you used to have to call somebody's house to find out the phone number where you were, whether you were in college and you had a phone on the dorm or if it was the, the phone at the end of the hallway that like there is a phone so somebody can call and like let pass on like the next number to where you were at. So that number for me was call my parents' house. My mother would tell you where I was at because I would, you know, because I'm, you know, always checking on my mom. So Eddie Vedder and I became buddies in, in 1992 on Lollapalooza. And then they'd be coming east and he would invariably call or have one of their people call and ask, you know, to talk to me and where I was. So she becomes friends with Eddie Vedder, my mother, who could talk to a 
drawing paint on the wall and have a conversation with it. Became friends with Ed Vedder. And so my mom passed away in April of this year. So when he did my City in Ruins with the gospel choir that I found in town, and he dedicated it to my mom, <laughs> that was, uh, yeah. I, I, is it going to get any better than that for me? Am I going to have a, a moment that meant more to me? Um, probably not. Uh, so yeah, that will always go down as, you know, a highlight of not just here now, but my career and, you know, life for, for that matter. So yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty incredible. Wow. No, yeah, it, was, it was heavy, man. I mean, it was, it was heavy and the bootleg is out now too. So I don't know if anybody knows this, uh, nugs.net has the Pearl Jam live show from See Who Now in Asbury Park. And how many times Eddie Vedder changed the lyrics to Pearl Jam songs to reflect Asbury Park and where he was, was astounding. Hmm. And, and I think it's super cool. And um, I think that there's a lot of bands who, especially because of the role that Bruce Springsteen has had playing going into his older age and how many of these rock bands look up to Bruce Springsteen and that is punk rock, that's hip hop, that is everybody. So when they come through Asbury Park, you guys have mentioned performers, they're bringing it. I, yeah. I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing it. And, and that's the energy that I love seeing shows in Asbury Park rather than going to Philadelphia or New York City because the people who are here are giving back the same amount of energy that's coming off the stage and that's what makes a good night standing there like this with your arms crossed in new york city saying entertain me doesn't work here um and that's what makes it so special you know i i heard the whole pearl jam set on sirius that's one of the pearl jam station yeah. and i noticed that he did sort of so that's the other thing I wanted to point out. The bands seem to love the venue themselves. Like they leave yeah. saying, this was a great time. We all had a really great time playing here, which is, which is an, perhaps you don't get that at other, at a, other festivals. Right. So you have like, you know, I remember when Brandy Carlisle was here, like she played, like they played with each other. You know, everyone's mm -hmm. jumping anyone into other, other set. And then when they walk away, leave, you know, saying, you know, I had a great time at see here now as, as the performer, which is interesting. Cause you don't always hear that from other festivals. People bus in, bus out next show. But see here now seems to have it, it left an impact on the performers, at least from from as a civilian looking in, it, it appears that way. It did. I mean, um, you know, Billy Corgan's a fantastic performer. Smashing Pumpkins are a great band. Mm -hmm. Is he cantankerous? Sure. But, you know, after on Monday, he posted a video that he took from the Asbury Ocean Club pool saying mm -hmm. that that weekend that he played because he played a hometown show on Friday night in Chicago at the Riot Fest. And then he played in Asbury Park on Sunday. And he said that, you know, coming to Asbury Park after not being here since 1991, came here the, the year their first gish came out, 30 years, he hasn't been here. And to see that he had his child with him in the pool in Asbury Park, compared to what it was 30 years ago, he said it was like witnessing a miracle and being part of the light of the miracle. And that really meant a lot to me because he doesn't throw compliments out. He's not that kind of dude. And he said professionally and personally, it was one of the top weekends he's ever had. And that, that was like, you know, that blew my mind, to be honest with you. So, yeah, kudos on Asbury Park for being 
Hey, I mean, honestly, too, a lot's got to do with the weather, right? Oh, my God. Well, you've been blessed. You hit the lottery. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, I mean, that moon coming up over the ocean, I mean, how breathtaking was all that stuff? And just like. But every year, you know, spread that over to Pride the first weekend in June where it rains every fucking weekend, every fucking year. Um, but yeah, we lived. But those of us who down the shore, September's the sweet spot of the year, anyway. It mm-hmm. seems like you've hit the the perfect the perfect time. You know. Yeah, we have to wrap up, Tim. I I saw on I'm guessing Instagram because I limit my Facebook because it's not good for my mental health. Mm-hmm. But I saw on Instagram you guys announced next year's date. Just yes. a quick hit on that. Yes. So um, same dates, same weekend, same bad channel. Just thank God for <laughs> leap year. There we go. Oh, nice. Yeah. September 18th, 19th. Let me double check. Let me double check. But yeah, we we came up with that today. And I'm gonna uh, say I'm gonna say September 17th, 18th. Let me see here. Which in September 17th is my birthday. September 17, 18. Exactly. September nice. 17, 18. Well, well, little 46 celebration there. Um and Tim, anywhere that we should be following you, can you give us um or, or at least give uh, See Here Now's uh, handles? Uh, see people? Here Now. At See Here Now on Instagram. Uh, at, yeah, I'm, I'm having such a battle with social media myself these days. Oh, it, it, right? right? Like in some ways, I love it. Like I love right. seeing friends of my kids that I went to, you know, people that I don't get right. to see that up, they live up north, wherever they live. Right. And, and I love that part of it. But what I hate is everybody, especially in the pandemic and especially being a government official, it's like everybody's a police officer or a doctor. And you ain't either, people. You, yeah. you ain't either. So yeah. just shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, so I, I, I limit I limit myself. But Instagram, I can still do. You know what? My wife's off everything, but she loves TikTok. She watches these right. TikTok videos. So I got to get myself on TikTok. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I'd see here now and um, up to date and, you know, once the new year comes, good, good news will be coming along with as the new year comes in. Yeah. You um, announce kind of, you, you tease it, you tease it out, right? You sort of start announcing, you announce every couple of months, a couple of bands, don't you? I feel like you do. Am I wrong? You know, times, everything's weird for me. Do you know how many different bands that we've had to gone through the past couple of years and how scrambled everything is with like, oh, they're coming. Oh, no. It's just been. But yes, that sounds about right. I'm going to say. <laughs> and the pandemic was just that it was rough, right? It was rough until the end, figuring that out. I, I imagine the stress level on, on that you guys had. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't work for 18 months. I work, I work in a live event business. So it was, uh, it was tough. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was tough to navigate. And then uh, I had that catastrophic injury in my leg and I had to get surgery and rehab and had to get myself actually healthy enough to survive the weekend for the show. And so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm ready for 22. Right. I think we all are. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, you Universe. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it, Tim.